everybody, welcome to another podcast of the Unknown Show, yeah, Unnamed Show. We'll work it out. We'll point. figure something out, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, we're sort of recording a few back-to-back at the moment because we're at different ends of the state, so... Um, yeah, last time we we talked about um, about us and yep. sort of drifted off off topic a bit, and we sort of started talking about film and analog. Yep. Um, I I'm still I consider myself still a very much a newbie in this area. Oh, I do too. And that, but it's interesting because I I bought a, an old medium format machine off you, a, yep. a, a Mamiya um, six four five. And you've gone through a couple of different iterations. Yeah, I kind of missed that camera. <laughs> it's it's, I, I've shot, I've had a few, and sort of been honing what I enjoy. And I've got to say, I did enjoy that. That was a nice camera. And and if I was shooting film the way I was shooting it then, and to the amount that I'd probably be looking at another one of those. Yeah, they just there's something about them. They're bang for buck, really, really good. I suppose the thing is, is that like a lot of people. A lot of older people learnt their craft on film. Yeah. And I certainly missed that by a very, very big country mile coming in. Um, but I've gone back to it predominantly because I really wanted to take away safety nets. Yeah. And it, it does. Like, it. it's pretty easy. You take a rubbish photo to hit the trash can on a digital and it's gone forever and no one needs to know that that ever happened yeah and it costs you nothing costs you nothing a, except for a, like a little bit of battery life and you and you know immediately you've taken the frame you go oh crap ex- yeah. exposure is wrong or gee that was out of focus or whatever so you you have that immediate feedback you know you've you've messed it up um and you You've got a big safety net there with digital. Yeah, it, it's easy to chimp on digital. and yep. and Hard to chimp on film. It's very hard to chimp on film. Like you do a Polaroid. Yeah. And yep. that's becoming way of the dodo now, thanks to Fuji now yes. cancelling their last pull-apart film. Yeah, and not even playing ball to let someone else take it. Yeah, which is really depressing because uh, we, both, we both use Polaroid backs. Yep. Um, so hopefully something in the in the future, somebody else will pick up the ball and develop their own style and chemistry. Yeah, yeah, and something that will. I mean, with my main Polaroid now, I need something that will take the same peel apart. Yeah, it's the size. It's the size yeah, is the problem. It's got to be. It's got to yep. fit in that back, otherwise it's like be... Impossible Project have got their own Polaroid style stock, but it's not for these style of cameras. No. It's not pull apart. It's no. it's you know. More what you expect from Polaroid if, you, if you've only used it in the um, com- old, like, sort of family commercial sense, uh, you know. Yeah, and, I mean, Fuji have got their Instax, which is probably their motivation behind this is to try and get... Try no, to I reckon it's costs and motivation is that they want to get Instax more. That consolidate Instax. Business, yeah. they're not in here to just keep things running because a few people enjoy shooting it. They're there yeah. to make dollars. Yeah. Or yen. So, I I personally really enjoy I I I'm still trying to get a grips of using color film, um, um, portrait and stuff like that. I, I'm still like the Velvia. You gave me a um, ISO fifty yep. Velvia, and I love the saturation in that. But I, yeah. I've got to find the right thing yeah, to shoot. But um, and that's but, a hard one because it's fifty as well. It's like, fifty. It's, it's hard. hard. Yeah, because, I mean, you're looking at a, at a Windows wallpaper, basically. 
That's yeah, what you, that's what you want. So, a big green paddock with a blue sky. Yeah, and but um, I really enjoying. Uh, this is sort of the funny thing, like if you get into photography, particularly in this digital age, and you start really reading into it, it's like low ISO, like one of the images, the least amount of noise as possible, and everything to that nature. Yep. And for admittedly, that's a good place to start. Yeah, but. As I've discovered over a period of time, I've even with my digital work, I've become more of a person who will actually add noise to my work. Yeah, yeah. I, I love having that bit more of an analog feel, and it's not to be hipstery or anything like that. But some of my stuff gets quite um, my studio work, particularly. I, I put a lot of gradients in and that, and and you need to break it up and. To give it a bit more of a feel, I actually, and a bit more texture, I add, add that bit of digital noise into it. Yeah, yeah. But that's actually transversely crossed over to my love of using more high-speed 400 ISO and above film yep. in the black and white because it makes it fascinating to see what, what that grain brings out and what yep. it removes in the image. Yep. Um, the trick on that one is is that what your contrast ratio is and how you shoot because I shoot a lot with strobes that can be quite it can actually destroy your image yeah um, I, my first lot of stuff I did on um, uh, T-Max I think it was it, it, it was so contrasty it looks like garbage yeah um, so that's my experience like, I, I want to one learn how to uh, it was me trying to push myself to remove myself from chimping altogether which yep. I'm pretty good at doing anyway but having that bit of unknown, okay, yeah. have I done this right or wrong? The the catch on my my learning was is that I was had to even though it's a six four five, which is more like a DSLR than anything else. It really put me on the back foot because I'm still having to remember, you know, f two point eight on a medium format is a bit more shallow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, than than I'm than I should really think about and stuff like yeah. that. So. It does put you in a different brain set, and sync speed screwed me up significantly on the first one. Yeah, um, it's one twenty fifth, and even though I was using um, Pocket Wizards, yep, for the TTL ones, which are for Canon, and that worked flawlessly with um, the speed lights, but if it was going into a studio strobe, because it, it was doing a pre flash, yeah, um, it'd screw my sync up. Yep, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's an older system as well, so nothing sort of yeah doesn't want to play ball quite as well. Yeah, I think I think it's that whole tinkering thing as well. Like if you're going back into the analog stuff, there's you know, uh, Leica and that still make these cameras, like yeah. film back cameras, but there's not a huge amount of stuff out there anymore, which is new. Yeah. Um, so you are Frankensteining a little bit, or having to learn an old system and trying to work with modern. You know, particularly if you're using strobe. Well, that I mean, that was with the project that I did last year, the um, Faces of Emotion Autism yep. project. That was I deliberately set about shooting that all on film, and having about having half an hour an hour with each person and trying to take two photos. Yeah, that was it. Two photos. Did of you each only person. ever take two frames? Some of them, if I knew straight away, like that it had gone wrong i'd try and well not so much a blink like there are a few people blinking but if someone moved out of frame because they Uh, were talking to me because i was shooting just like head and shoulders just and straight on so you're just casually talking to them just having having your hand hand on the trigger just ready for that moment yep cable release in my hand so that as soon as i saw something the emotion that conveyed what 
they were talking about, I could get the photo. Yep. And that was a scary thing. And that's why I started shooting Polaroid again. So it was with the Mamiya RZ, RZ67 that yep. I was shooting. I got my Polaroid back for that. And because I wanted to hone my skills with that camera before I shot these and I needed to get the formula and the recipe down pat yep. and I didn't want to have to wait around for weeks and weeks for labs to develop and so the actual whole project was shot in Polaroid in the no end. the whole project was shot on um, film black and white yep. um, T-Max 100 yep. um, but I used Fuji FP100C pack film um, Polaroids to test my lighting to get everything right so that was I, your chimp that was my chimp, but it was one chimp for three months of shooting. Yep. So basically a session in the studio, controlled environment, got everything right, got the lighting right, knew that what I got on that Polaroid was going to be a black and white version on the on the film when I shot it, and then that was that was the end of Polaroid for that project. I, yep. didn't, I didn't shoot a Polaroid each session. Yeah, because once you got the lighting in the same yeah, spots... It's, you got your recipe, yeah. I, everything yeah. was measured out, so it was identical every time. Yep. Um, which was interesting then because any discrepancies come, came down to the lab and development. Ah. So, and I did notice there's a shift in like tones and in... Probably different people in, and different chemicals. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it was... Age of the chemicals. Yeah, three-month three process of shooting it, shoot, sending a roll off every couple of rolls every week. Yep. So, yeah, you're going to get different people at the lab doing also it. Also, find the scanner... Um, like this, whoever's developing and they're also usually obviously now scanning for you, um, the different setups that they yep. have in those scanners, um, different contrasts, different thing. I don't know like if they're – I don't think like the good labs wouldn't put them on automatic, but there is a technician sitting there doing yeah, it. And they've got to make the decisions on yeah. is that contrast right, is that is that depth right and all that exactly. stuff. So, yeah, and it also depends if they've – you might get one guy goes in, especially labs like – some of them might have a, a Fuji Frontier and a Naritsu scanner. Yep. And they give very different results. And one guy might like using the Frontier. The other one might decide, oh, and you don't know whether they've used the Frontier. You can ask for it. Yep. But you sort of sometimes you sort of wonder whether, hmm, I don't, this doesn't look the same. Yeah, it's kind of out of your control. I found yeah. that because the big thing for me is I was getting um, the labs, well, the lab I was using, which you were using as well, I think for the same, for this project. Yep. They would only send back JPEGs yep. and stuff. And I really wanted something yeah, with more than eight bit. Like that, yeah. I wanted sixteen bit. Like particularly particularly for the colour stuff, but even for the black and white so I could get those gradients right. And it was so I've it's no nowhere near like a Fuji Frontier or anything, but I got a scanner there so I can actually look and see yep. if there's anything on that negative that I want to bring out again. Yeah. Um I've got a like a similar I've got the um, Epson V six hundred, yeah, mine I think, or it might be a seven hundred. Um, haven't used it much lately, um, but I mean you can you can jump in and you can get the um, some of the like the Imicon Flex Type and things like that, yep. which which will scan at very similar resolutions um, to the Frontiers and so on. But again, you're going to pay two or three thousand dollars for a scanner. Yep, and then they also run on like windows 97 or something like that because um, uh, they're ancient technology because no oh, one yeah. really wants them anymore so you've got to you've got to I, i'm not that passionate about shooting film that i want to jump yeah. that far down the <laughs> rabbit hole i'm happy letting a lab 
deal with my stuff. I, I, I have considered setting up a, a light box with, with a macro lens. Yeah. Well, that's I've seen some really impressive stuff done with that, like done right. It, it can be fantastic. So, yeah. But, I mean, I might get in and develop some own black and white, but at the moment I just don't have the time or the space. Yeah, the space and the time is the big thing. I've been playing with, uh, around with um, large format with yep. my friend Dave and I like... I've only done one stint in the lab developing the medium format where a friend showed me how to do it and I was absolutely garbage. Yeah. Uh, oh, fretting, the, I can't fret film on those spools yet. It yeah. just does my head in. Um, but the, um, so we we were doing, a, we, did a, we did a session when he first got the um, camera here in this studio um, straight on the film and um, that came out all right. You know, I set up the lighting and that because he doesn't know yep. the lighting that well and that, so that was the reason. Uh, he's using my expertise in the studio to help him set up a camera yep. and that. So we did that. That was fine. It came up pretty good. And then um, he, the next time we did it, he had got all the chemicals and he mixed them and he had the wait time and everything to do wet plate. And that was fascinating, like the 10-minute run. Like we had... We had uh, inside was his studio and his house, and out, outside was his dark room in the yeah. in the shed. So you go in the shed, prep the plate, everything, put it in dark slide, modified dark slide area. <coughs> Pardon me. Run to the um, oh, not run, briskly walk to to the studio where the camera was set up, which where we had a lighting, and stick it in, pull the dark slide. One of us would get in front of the camera, another one would focus it and hit bang put it back together, go back to the thing and develop it. And it was like, this would drive me up the wall if I was doing it every day. But once in a blue moon, just for a yeah. bit of fun and for some artistic, you know, thinking and ideas and stuff like that, it was heaps of fun. Yeah. I, like I said, I was thinking I was saying before about the new 55, like that's something I want to try. Because yeah. with Polaroid, with Fuji killing the... Um, the pull apart. The pull apart. That means my beautiful Polaroid beast is going to become a. Which you've only had, had recently. I know. I got it when I got back from Thailand last year, and I've had a lot of fun with it. It's, I've enjoyed the photos out of that more than anything because it's, it's filling a full pull apart frame. Um, yeah, that's the thing for me. Like the six four five, the pull apart frame is like, just under a third, I think, of yeah. the actual image, yeah. and it sucks. I look at all that black area and go, yeah. what could have been there? Yeah. So I, I love doing this and I love doing it when I do studio shooting, like if I'm, if I'm playing in the studio for my own benefit or if like doing the same sort of stuff that you and I both do, like model portfolio sort of things. Yep. I love sort of breaking out the Polaroid to take some photos. It's something different and it's, slow, it's also really good for slowing everything down. And yeah, that's, that's a great thing. I've used, I try to use film a little bit every, every um, model shoot and stuff yeah. I do in fashion shoot. The... Um, I'm going to be a lot more careful about how I use my pull-apart because oh, I've only yeah. got a few packs left. But before I was actually shooting a couple of frames, um, not for lighting tests or anything like that, purely so I could actually give the model yeah, yeah. a and physical that, object. I do that. I always shoot a couple. So I've got one to give them. One to for yourself. And one for my sort of reference for that for that model. sort of. So I, I can go back if I'm going to shoot with them again. I can look through some stuff. And I like looking at physical prints. Yeah, so, I've become that as well. Like, yeah. I, I don't own a printer per se. Like I've got a little selfie for home for my, my little yep. girl and stuff to get family stuff. But <coughs> Oh, man, tickling my throat. Sorry. 
but uh, that that joy of handing over a Polaroid. And yeah. the thing is, is that well, I've seen a lot of people now using just the Instastack stuff, but it doesn't have the same doesn't have the same look gravitas or anything like that. I find it. It's funny. I've got the little Instax mini printer. Yep. So that talks to my Fuji camera. So I can just take a photo on the Fuji camera, press send to Instax, and it spits out the thing. But something gets lost in the translation Ocean. there, and they never look as good. My girls have got the Instax cameras. Yep. And those photos look better than the ones being shot on my DSLR, well, mirrorless. Yep. That are going through there. So there's something in the in the communication there. The software, just, the way yeah, that it crushes it a little bit. Whereas the adding contrast and things. yeah, and because it's, I think it's also the printer, the way it's actually exposing using its little LEDs inside. Yep. To expose the film, versus the Instax is still working on an optical process in the actual cameras. So yeah, it's a lot of um, like because I've, I've been shooting um, more and more in Melbourne and places with with models and agencies and stuff like that, but. A lot of the makeup artists yep. will bring their own now. Yep. Just because a lot of lot of them will always take a picture. Or they'll do the right thing and ask the model, "Is it okay if I take a picture of you for my, you know, just yep. so I got a reference?" And they sometimes put them on Facebook or whatever on their Instagram. But they're also now, I think. For them, it's part of the process of having fun and being part yeah. of it. Is that they'll they'll whip out their Instax and then they'll take a picture of the model and that and have a bit of fun. And I, I actually, I know some people get a bit snippy about you know other people bringing cameras out on shoots, but like I don't see the issue with this. This is actually no, kind of it's fun. a different thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a different thing. If if they're standing over the, your shoulder shooting, yeah. trying to get your stuff yeah, that you're no. putting the effort into directing and lighting and so on, that's a different thing. But if they're if they're just there taking some photos for fun to, to be part of it all and to... Sort of BTS for me, you know, behind yeah. the scenes, so... Yeah, and I, I love that. And I, I'm happy for, for like, agencies to do that when I'm shooting for them and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm happy for them to get some photos to stick on their social media yep. and to use for their own fun. It's um, something I've discovered a lot more now, and it's sort of, sort of an unwritten rule, but it's becoming, I think, more written... <coughs> oh, sorry. That's right. Um, modeling agencies are asking their girls and guys to actually take behind the scene photos. Yeah. Because they want to be able to push them out on their social media yeah, networks. And they want, yeah. Um, I was, another podcast I, I listened to, um, Candid Frame, which is a really good interview one. And there was an interview with a, um, a an agency and a photographer that does a lot of agency stuff and they're talking about how some of the models are even being selected on how many followers they have so they can get that happens a lot traction. yeah but there lies an issue with that as well is that a model who has like 100k followers may not be the right model for the jobs no. um but they're getting them because of traction well, photographers as well like was yep. it burberry and um there's a lot of like yeah a lot of weight behind social media likes followers yeah. and everything like that though because i've dealt with this in, in, in different areas there, there is now a case of marketing and pr companies and that who who will actually be a bit more um selective about this they'll go you've got 100k followers that's brilliant we want you as a brand ambassador yeah but i need to somehow legitimize that your 100k followers are organic you haven't paid for them because if you've paid for um followers 
you know, you got, uh, you know, 500, you know, 50k of those followers are from China, bugs accounts. Yeah. Um, I'm paying you what? Yeah. And it's going to nowhere. Yeah, I think that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah. Gives us something to talk about another day. Yeah, I can go yeah. on about that for yeah, a long yeah. time because yeah, uh, I've dealt with it in, in some big, bigger places. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's... um, I, I love the film for, for those reasons. I love shooting it for that. I, I love the fact it slows me down. Um, it's I, That's probably the biggest reason I still am shooting film at wedding, even though I'm only shooting a little bit. Is to just during the bride and groom portrait. So sessions. are you are you like once you get the scans back? How much are you editing those scans? I I don't really. Um, I shoot I'm, I shoot my favourite film Fuji 400H while they still produce it again. Something else that Fuji have listed on the chopping block. Um, if they cut that, then I don't know if I'll keep on shooting film at all in right. these because I just love the look of it. Yep. Um, I mean, there's a lot of the Ilfords and so on. I might just go to 35mm and just shoot more candid stuff on film mm. um, using like HP5, Delta 3200. HP5 is interesting. I, I, I used that for, uh, um, on 35 for my um, uh, just candid stuff on my family and stuff. And that, yeah. yeah, and I actually really dig the look I got out of that. Yeah, I if I go down that way, it's probably going to be a whole rabbit hole because I have particular like in the way in the contrast and things like that which requires certain lenses which takes me into a whole different oh no yeah (laughs) we're not going to go there maybe we should just call this show the rabbit hole yeah (laughs) could yeah it does seem to there there are so many rabbit holes in this oh yeah everything (laughs) you and that's one of the things i love about photography like there's so many different people in so many different genres and so many different fields and they can go as deep and as far as they want to in those fields and you never run out of room to grow and experience. Yeah. Well, it's a creative way. art. Yeah. So, like, there's only boundaries when you put them in yourself. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, the, um, so yeah, you're not editing um, no, or very little. I think oh, when I first got my first slot, but I did do a bit of editing, but I, I've become more... I have this battle in myself about perfectionism and not. And the film of becoming... I actually published recently about five photos which have got completely massive problems in them technically, which are like sync issues and stuff yep. like that. But I, I had to step back and it took me like a year or whatever to look at these images again and go, actually, you're really cool because of those screw-ups. Well, you go back 20 years to when everyone was shooting film. You look at... At Rolling Stone magazine, you yep. look at the photos that were going there and Annie Leibovitz stuff. Um, look at um, Joe McNally stuff when they were shooting film. Yep. And there's stuff now that if they posted that online on social media without their names behind it, if someone anonymous posted yep. those photos, they would get torn to shreds about the technicalities, about yep. how there was like it might be a, a mix of ambient and flash and how there's a little bit of an outline around the person and this sort of stuff. Yeah, they blurred and, a bit or whatever. But it, who cares like really like i know we can get caught on that and being aware of the technicalities like like you and i both are and sort of picking yourself apart afterwards is one thing but but those things were just accepted we're in a in a hopefully coming out of it a time in this industry with digital perfection yep where you've got to have every line every eyelash has to be crisp sharp every detail every pore everything thing is i actually kind of really love that look as well as this other look. Yeah, so it's the dichotomy in me. 
Like what? What? And it has to come down to like the job in the end. Yeah, they have their place. Each, yep. like for me, it was a wedding shooter. So my favourite photos have been shot at really high ISO with a little bit of blur because I'm shooting at a really low shutter speed because like a dance, first dance, for example, yeah. where there's a beautiful nap, beautiful spotlight coming down from the roof. But while it's bright to our eyes, you and I both know that like in that dark room, it's still just going to be a black hole. Yeah. And so the instinct is to grab the flash and make it bright. But then you lose the ambience, so you lose the emotion. Yeah, and you want to see that little bit of the people around as yeah. well. Obviously, you want to focus on whoever's there. But yeah, you, so I've never it. It didn't take me very long personally to get over the ISO thing, like yeah. the noise thing, particularly with the new in digital with modern cameras. Yeah. Um, shooting, as I said in the last podcast, shooting roller derby, dark holes all the time. Yeah. <coughs> Pardon me. The um. I, I people always go, oh, I need to shoot at 100 ISO, 200 tops, all right? Bugger it. Yeah. Bang it up to 6400. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, probably some of that comes from people's misconceptions and, and this sort of almost the legacy of the CCD era where yep. you could only, if you go shot at 800, yeah, you're, you're and it really was pushing it. Horrible. But the new CMOS sensors are, are hitting ISOs in the ridiculous numbers and still being more than acceptable. Oh, yeah. So, like my A7S is insane. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, a bit of grain and for me, a bit of blur. Like I was saying, this wedding photo before, beautiful light, just the light of the room, the ambient light was stunning to highlight the couple. Their faces are in focus, their bodies are blurred because they're moving. Yep. And well, should, that captivates the motion and yep. what was happening at the time. So, yep. that makes sense. I can guarantee, though, and you put that in front of some pixel papers and it's going to get shredded. Shredded. Oh, I don't care because yep. it's. It's not there to sell anything. It's not a commercial image. It's an image about mood and emotion. Yeah. So it's got to be for the right reasons. Yeah, and I think I think that's where a lot of us get hung up and, and, and it's always, you know, you look at other people's work and you always sort of try not to, or you can if you want, judge yourself against other people's work. And those technicalities do come up all the time like yeah. oh, have i done the right thing and stuff like that but i think you this is a lesson i'm always tr- constantly trying to push myself to learn is to step back and go is it right for what you yeah. want it to output what's the intent what is the intent well partially what is the intent because that means it's going somewhere for some reason but artistically is this satisfying your need like yeah. um that can go into intent as well yeah all, creative or, intent and emotions intent. what you're wanting to convey exactly so like i've i showed you a set of images i did in melbourne and they're all insanely colored like they're all purples and blues and stuff like that they do totally alien yeah and they're not sharp for the most part and everything like that and there's a lot of grain put they're in stunning them. though but i look at it and go if i was being technical these are a piece of shit technicalities are easy to quantify that's the thing about yeah that's it it makes it's an easy mark to look at it's not subjective it is is it in this criteria is it sharp is it is there the grain right is the yeah is the exposure and you can look at your histogram you can look at all the things and you can quantify whether it's technically correct yep but whether it's but if it's a creative piece yeah then the technicalities are secondary to well to me Technicalities yeah. are set 
secondary to what you're trying to convey and what you're the mood you're trying to convey and yeah. feeling and emotion. Yeah, and I think so. that's uh, that's thing like all young and old shooters, but very much you know new new shooters have to like. Well, I'm sort of into year two slash four, so yep. and I'm only now sort of bringing yeah, myself to look at that. I'm, I, yeah, I the same sort of time frame as you, and that's the same. Yeah, I'm sort of stepping back a little bit from from and letting go of yeah searching for the perfect technically perfect photo yeah i started hashtagging these images of letting uh what is it what was it letting go perfect yep so um just so i'm like these are good and this is what i wanted like and initially some like the ones that the older stuff especially this film stuff i'm putting out with all these issues wasn't what i wanted at the first thing but when i step back i look at them and look at them in new light and go there's actually substance here and it doesn't have to be perfect and that gives you rise for different ideas for creativity yeah and the moment you take the day you take a perfect photo just step away walk away from it and the day that you think you've owned it and you've nailed it i think it's that it's that first set first look sort of picking up oh what have i done wrong but then being able to step back and go but what but does it work yeah and i think i think the one thing is is that if you know what you've done wrong and you know how to correct it and you can actually do that, yeah. then it doesn't matter because you know the lesson. As long as you're not repeating those mistakes in, uh, unintentionally, unintentionally yeah. you're good. Like if other mistakes crop in for whatever reason, but you one, I, they, um, actually add those mistakes in. Um, I did that on purpose, actually. I've actually physically done mistakes now on purpose. Yep. So are they mistakes now? Or are they just a creative way of using the, the yeah, equipment? And because it's subjective, so it's up yeah, to you. Exactly. Yeah. So if you've got ideas, I suppose, you know, I'd be interested to see what other people think of this, like whoever's listening, because yeah. this argument will go around in circles forever. And we're oh, not really arguing, we're just no. talking about stuff. But I, 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 like, do you get caught up in the um, process of, you know, trying to be perfect? Like, I know that I've looked, and I still do, I look at where I want stuff to be and I want to match their output. So yeah. therein lies my benchmark. Yeah, and that'll shift. That'll move and shift. It shift should never stop. Yeah, but uh, I'd be interested in like how many people have gone down that rabbit hole of you know, getting caught up in such minutiae that, that it's taken them a while to pull themselves out in any different field. It doesn't yeah, have to be it, photography. It can break you if you don't pull out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It can be soul-crushing. Yeah. Right, so, um, yeah, I'm, well, I was Bruce Moyle, and you can hit me up on um, Facebook under um, Joffrey Street Productions or my website, same, joffreystreetproductions.com or um, Instagram, B Moyle. Yep. And I am Ed Jones, and you can find me at edjonesphotographer.com. That's sort of my personal stuff that I enjoy doing for fun and my sort of project work. Um, or you can find me at edjphotog, Ed that's one word, on Instagram. Yeah, cool. Hopefully we hear from somebody at some point, yeah. someday. That'd be cool. One day. One day. All right, guys, have a good one. Yeah. See ya. See ya.